0: Aloha and good evening. It's good to be with God's family this evening to worship God in spirit and in truth. Another opportunity this day, this day that the Lord has made for us. I come with greetings from the Wahiwa Church of Christ. Uh, They send their special thanks for uh, allowing uh, uh me to be there with them this morning and and to teach and preach for them please pray for the church in wahiwa as they are uh going through a period of reconciliation and healing and also trying to find a minister uh, that will suit the work uh, that is needed to be done in uh in wahiwa and i want to thank our elders uh for allowing me to go uh, to Iowa uh, uh, today and uh, for standing before you or Zooming before you this morning uh, to teach in Bible class and also uh, to preach this morning. I'm sure that Ren and Ralph did a great job in encouraging you this morning. It's always encouraging to see the shepherds uh, participating and active in the teaching and preaching of God's word. Our sermon this evening is titled, Jesus' Way of Dealing with Sin in the Church. Jesus' Way of Dealing with Sin in the Church. And I want you to leave your Bible open there to Matthew chapter 18 that was just read for us by Leslie. Because that is where this teaching is found. Uh, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But, But before we look at the teaching itself, I want us to sort of break down the parts of this sermon title. And the first part I want us to highlight and emphasize this evening is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of the living God the king of kings the king over his kingdom the holy one of god the head of the church jesus the one who has all the authority matthew chapter 28 verse 18 and and uh, through 20 after Jesus had resurrected from the dead, he came and he spoke to his disciples. And he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I want us to remember, church, that what we're about to look at in the scriptures, it's not Lima's teaching, right? It's not Ren's teaching. It's Christ's. So when we're looking at this text tonight, I want us to constantly have that in our minds, This is from the Lord. Colossians 3 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul wrote, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name that is by the authority of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. So whatever that pertains to the church, life and godliness we must do things and 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 say things that are according to the authority who is Jesus Christ the second thing i want to highlight from my sermon title is this dealing with sin all right jesus way of dealing with sin i'm preaching to the choir and We know what sin is. Sin is a transgression of God's law. First John chapter three and verse four. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness for sin is lawlessness, right? Sin is violating God's law or living without abiding, uh, uh, without obeying God's law. And so what we're dealing with is not a matter of opinion, right? In these instructions, it's not a matter of what I think is best or what you think is best. It's not about who you're voting for, who you're not voting for, or whatever it is in the realm of Christian freedom, where right? we have that. There's there's something called Christian freedom, where we exercise our proper judgments based on you know, what doesn't violate our conscience. This is not one of those things. This is a matter of heaven and hell. It's sin. The most dangerous thing there is to the soul of mankind. It's the one thing that can truly separate one from God. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and verse 2. Behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot hear, nor his ear heavy that it or his hand shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But then Isaiah wrote, But your iniquities have Separated between you and your God and your sins have caused him to hide his face from you. That's what we're dealing with in this teaching, right? It's not about well, what color should we paint the building or, or matters of judgment. It's a matter of heaven and hell. Dealing with sin. And we know that sin is, punishment, is punishable by eternal uh, fire. Revelation 21 and verse 8. Here is a list of some sins and the end of those who practice these things. Uh, the writer John writes, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexual, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21 and verse 8. And so this is what we're dealing with. And to remind us all just how serious God dealt with sin, he hung his son on the cross. That's how serious sin is. Jesus died for our sins. And so keeping that in in mind as we go through his teaching this evening, it's his teaching, the, the Lord who has all authority, It's dealing with one of the major problems, the biggest problem in life, the problem of sin. And the last part I want to highlight in our topic, in our title, is the church. That's us. So we're not talking about people out in the world. Right? We're not talking about those who deny God and reject God and hold their fists towards God, we're talking about the family. And in God's family, made of people, people who do fall short, There's, it's bound to happen that one of us will sin against another. It's bound to happen. And what we're talking about this evening, I mean, it's just like any other family that we have been a part of, right? In our own personal families. Have you ever argued with anyone in your family? I have. And so that's going to happen in the church family. And when that happens, what are we going to do, right? When there's sin involved, what are we going to do? And this is what Jesus would have us do. When it happens, the church, a people who have denied themselves, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The church, a people with genuine love, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you so that you continue to love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The church, a chosen, royal, holy, and peculiar people. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen generation. Implied that we're different from those in the world. We've been taken out of the world. So our ways of dealing with things are not like the way the world deals with things. Right, and so we're a chosen generation We're a royal priesthood, under the Old Testament, only one tribe was allowed to be priests to God, the tribe of Levi. Under the New Testament, every single Christian is part of the priesthood of God, what a blessing that is, that we get to offer worship to God with Jesus as our high priest. We're chosen. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, and Haggaiosal nation, sanctified, set apart, a nation that should be without blemish, washed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And then it says here, he is own special people, Special to God or this family. With the purpose of proclaiming the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is it that the story of our life? Being called out of darkness into his marvelous light. light, And a people who once did not obtain mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That summarizes our lives. By the mercies of God, we are his children. And so I want us to remember that as we look at our lesson tonight, this teaching is from our Savior. It's dealing with the biggest problem in life, sin. And it's for those within the church family. So in Matthew chapter 18, I want to give you an outline That's very applicable and practical for you to use as you go through this chapter. And the reason why I want to give this outline, because I want us to see that there is a flow in the teaching of Christ in this entire chapter. And we'll see that in this outline. For example, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5, here's the takeaway message that you should have is God's children must be humble. And there in verse 1 through 5, Jesus talked about being humble like little children. In verses 6 through 9, to take away messages, God's children must do whatever it takes to avoid sin. What, what did Jesus say there? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye, couch it out. All right, And he doesn't mean to cause a physical body any self-harm. He means you take the extreme way to avoid sin. Take it because of the seriousness of sin. Verses 10 through 14, God's children can be lost, but if one would come back to Jesus, God will welcome him with open arms. You think about the story of the prodigal son who was once with the father, and then he wanted his inheritance, and Went away into the the far country and lived in a riotous way of living. Lost all of that. He came to himself. He realizes, all my blessings are at home with my father. I need to go home with my father. And as he came to himself, he returned. And his father was waiting to see his son come home. And the moment the father sees his son, he runs and he embraces him. That's the beauty of the child of God. We can lose our way, but if we will come back to our senses and come back home, he welcomes us home with open arms. Verses 15 through 20, which will be the bulk of our lesson, God's children must learn how to deal with each other when there is sin in a relationship. So you see this flow of teaching that we are to be humble. We are to avoid sin. When, when we lose our way, we must be willing to repent. And when we're dealing with sin with one another, we need to know how to handle such a delicate situation. And then finally, the last part of the chapter, 21 through 35, God's children must be forgiving. Right? When you have done what is in verse 15 through 20, you need to do and, and you win your brother. You need to do what, what verse 21 through 35 says to do. Forgive. And so now let's look at the place um, where the lesson comes from, Matthew chapter 15 or chapter 18, verse 15 through 20. And I'm not going to give you an outline like I normally do, because this outline is pretty straightforward from the Lord Jesus and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to improve on the teaching of the Lord Jesus. It's already perfect. So the first point is verse 15. Jesus said this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Very straightforward. Jesus wants for us to handle things on a personal level when it comes to sin. If it's between me and Wren, I'm giving an illustration. If it's between me and Wren, I need to go to Wren. Wren must come to me. And we need to talk about it in the spirit of love and kindness and handle things that way. But sometimes, We don't do it this way. I'm speaking generally. Sometimes Christians don't do it this way. We get offended. Instead of going to the person that we're supposed to go to, we go to some other person. You know what so-and-so did to me. And so we open the door for other sins. Like slander. Slander gossip and lying. Jesus wants us to have the courage to be able to look one another in the eye and talk about life's biggest problem, sin and try to win each other over to Jesus. Remember there's a goal here in mind. Jesus said, if you if he hears you, You have gained your brother. That's the goal. This is not the time to say, I'm right, you're wrong. This is the time to say, brother, sister, can we look at what is right? And see if there's something that we can improve on in this relationship. If our attitude in going to the person is pride and self-righteousness, it's not going to work. The way we approach should be that of humility, gentleness, meekness. Galatians 6 verse 1 through 2 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one, In the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear you one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4 and verse 15 also says, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in him who is the head. So when we do it the way Jesus said to do it, it's a wonderful thing and i know uh, and i know we some of us have done this some of us have failed at doing this in parts of our walk but the times that we have done it that we have had the courage to go to someone and talk to them about life's biggest problem you come away with true closure Right? that's often what people don't have when dealing with sin between brothers and sisters in christ You will have this awkward relationship because you never did it the way Jesus said to do it. And so things are a bit awkward. And so you don't have closure. And so when you come to worship God, often it is the case you look over to your shoulder. Oh, there's so-and-so. We just had a, a very bad argument about sin and so on and so forth. And here we are trying to worship God. When we do it God's way, it brings us true closure. It demonstrates genuine love. Love rejoices in the truth, not in iniquity. It brings that relationship real peace. Why is that? Because it's done in Jesus the way Jesus said to do it. Here's a question to insert between verse 15 and 16. Good habit to do in Bible study is Ask questions of the text. Here's a good question. What if, Lord, what if, what if I have done all these things? Sorry, I didn't change the slide there for you, but it's basically the verse. Um, What if I have done this? I did it in the right spirit, in meekness and gentleness. But the person still insists that they did not sin. What if that happens, Lord? Well, he answers that in verse 16. So let's look at verse 16. The Bible says, but if he will not hear, that doesn't mean that he heard what you said or she heard what you said. That means they acknowledge what you said. They realize that they're in the wrong and they're penitent in heart and want to ask for your forgiveness. That's what it means here. So Jesus says, if he will not do that, if he is not penitent, take with you one or two more witnesses or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, this is a practice from the Old Testament, a practice that God gave to the Israelites. When you look in the old law, man, there are some serious sins and consequences for sins that God gave under the old law. For example, if one was to work on the Sabbath, God said, You stone that person to death. That's, that's serious. And I want to use that illustration here, real quick. So I don't mean to peek on you, Ren, but let, let me use Ren as, as our one of our characters in it. Let's say we're all under the old law, and Wren, it's the Sabbath day, and Wren is working on the Sabbath. And let's say Pat sees Wren working on the Sabbath, and so Pat goes to the elders. There were elders at the gates of the city who handled matters of judgment. He goes to the elders, and he says to the elders, Wren was working on the Sabbath. And so the elders of Israel will say, Well, let's go ahead and stone him to death. Is that right? Is that what's going to happen? No. The law required that there be two or three witnesses for the sake of protecting both sides. Right? You, you're not only protecting the victim. But you're also protecting the accused offender. You're giving the offender the chance to plead his case. Why? He believes that he didn't violate any laws. Because what is the usual case? Every story has what? Two sides. We notice this in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 17 and verse 6. The law says, whoever is deserving of death shall not be put to death under testimony uh, or shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. That's a very good system of justice, right? That way you don't have a situation where it's my word versus your word. right? Uh, he said, she said, or, or whatever the situation may be, because there is the truth. And bringing other people in... To help see what the truth is and make the proper judgment. Here's the other passage, Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Notice Jesus quotes from the Old Testament and and implies here that this is a good teaching for the church to do. It also applies to our elders. The Apostle Paul wrote that in instructions about the qualifications of elders. He tells Timothy, "Accept no accusation against an elder except it be from two or three witnesses, not just one person." Right. And so, if between you and your brother it doesn't work, Jesus said, "You bring two or three witnesses. You present your side." They present their side. And you let these people that you brought, and by the way, a practical uh, two or three witnesses, why not the shepherds of the church? They're sound in wisdom. They know what the Bible says, and, and let them look at both sides and make the proper judgment. And that's what Jesus would have us to do. Insert another question between verse 16 and verse 17. Lord, what if even we have three or two witnesses and the person still insists? Even even the three three witnesses are, are saying, this sister is right for bringing this accusation against you. Are you not seeing that that, that this is what the truth is? If they don't agree with what the witnesses are saying, here's what Jesus said. Verse 18, or verse 17, sorry. There you go. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Again, sometimes we don't deal with sin. And often it's the case we don't want to deal with it because we sometimes say, but I have my problems. Right? I have my own sin. So I don't want to I don't want to deal with someone else's sin. So so I'm just gonna let it go. And that person does it again, and you're going to say you know what, I'm just going to let it go again. They do it again. And you keep saying, I'm going to let it go. Again, I'll let it go. Again, I'll let it go. Again, I'll let it go. You know what would happen to you? You build resentment. And what I thought I was going to let go has actually built up to bias the way I view this person. And now I have resentment towards this person instead of reconciliation. Jesus didn't say let it go. There's a responsibility of the individual, as me as an individual, as you as an individual, to hold each other accountable in Christ Jesus. Can't just let it go. I mean, we're talking about the sin. We're talking about the serious problem that we deal with as sin. We can't just let that go. Sometimes in the church, I'm uh, I'm speaking generally in the church, instead of doing it Jesus' way, instead of telling the church, we'll, we'll do this, we'll sweep it under the rug. But you know what? Lima's sin, we'll sweep his sin under the rug. Ren's sin, under the rug. I'll go down the list. Everybody in here, under the rug, under the rug, under the rug. You know what happens when you put many things under the rug? There's this huge bump. And someone's gonna say, what's under the rug? Because it, look, it, look, it doesn't look right. It's, it, there's a big bump under the rug. What's under the rug? And you know what happens, church? If that's the practice, you know what happens? New people come in. Visitors come in and they notice something. Oh, we're not really taking Jesus' teaching seriously. Maybe I should go somewhere else. Jesus says, tell it to the church. You know what that means? It means tell it to the church. It means as a family, we're supposed to be pleading with this individual to give up sin. As a family, we're supposed to be helping this person to see the truth so they can escape the grasp of sin, the bondage and slave master that sin brings to free them and bring them back home to Christ. Not sweep it under the rug. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 5. Here is a example in the New Testament of a church who did not practice what Jesus taught here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice with me verse 1 through 7. And here's what Paul said. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. That's the thing about the Bible. It shares the ugly truths. It shares the nasty sins that men get into. And that's what we see here. Happening in the church, in Corinth, and he continues on and he says, and you are puffed up about this and have not rather mourned sin. Again, they've forgotten what sin will do to the individual. They were puffed up but not, but not sorrowful, not mourning that this person is lost in sin. He says, you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from me. For I indeed am absent in the body, but a present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. And here's what he says to them. Church, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the authority of Jesus, when you gather together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. That you, uh, uh, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since truly you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Notice what Paul says to them. Enough of this. Sweeping under the rug. You know what's happening, and you've done nothing, and you're so proud. You're calling it mercy. You know, I'm not going to hold this person accountable for their sin. I'm going to call that me being merciful towards this person. They were so proud of that. And not doing what Jesus said to do. Paul says, come together. Understand. Sin and what it does to a person. Understand, this is your brother. He needs your help. You need to rescue him from Satan. And where Paul says here, deliver him to Satan, he he really is saying, discipline this individual. Hold him accountable to the word. That is what we're supposed to do. And then finally, verse 18 through 20 Again, Jesus emphasized here in these words where this teaching came from. Jesus said, surely I say to you that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. One pause there because I really love the translation that Leslie used because it properly communicates. The the New King James is, is a little bit off here. It sort of sounds like the binding and loosing is up to us. It is not up to us. What he's saying here is, whatever these instructions are, God has already set them in heaven. And so the church must practice them here on earth. So when we practice it here on earth, we're doing what's already been settled in heaven. The psalmist said, Oh, Lord, forever your word is settled in heaven. Before I got this 66 books in the Bible, it was already written by God in heaven. That's what this means. Whatever you bind, God is already binded here in his teaching. Whatever you lose, it's what's been loosed by God in heaven. So the binding and loosing is not up to us. Continuing on, Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Sometimes, again, this verse is used to say, oh, this is worship, right? Uh, Two or three gathered in the Lord's name. He's also with us. That's not really the context of the verse and I believe that if you're the only one worshiping God, God is with you. It doesn't have to be two or three, all right? Because there's sometimes you're just by yourself. We just went through a pandemic. Going through it. But really, when you put this verse in context, it's really several of Christians coming together. With the goal of winning their brother or sister in Christ back to Christ. A brother or sister who's walking in darkness and they are working together to bring them back to Jesus. What a beautiful thing. That's what this verse is. And where brethren are working together to win their fellow uh, 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 brother and sister in Christ, God is there working with them. So this is the teaching. What we just looked at, church, is the way Jesus would have us deal with sin in the church. I want to close with these two verses. right. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is a way of death. Sometimes, especially with sin, there's a tendency to say, well, here's what we think we should do. And, and often we say that before asking, what does the Lord say for us to do? Isaiah 55, verse 8 and verse 9, God says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts When it comes to dealing with sin in the church, we must do it the heavenly way, the way Jesus said for us to do it. It may be a difficult way to take, but it is the Lord's way. It may be counterculture, or it may not be something we used to do, but it's still the Lord's way, and it must be done. Maybe you're here this evening, and you're someone who is seeking salvation in Christ Jesus. God wants to save you today, and the question is, do you want the salvation that God gives? If you want that, do what Jesus said. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 15 through 16, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The truth that saves us. He who believes that gospel and is baptized in the waters of baptism will be saved, Jesus said. He who believes not will be condemned. If you need to do that this evening, we plead plead with you, do it tonight. Maybe you have done that. And maybe the spirit through the word has pricked your heart tonight and you realize, you know what? I need to go to so-and-so and work things out and seek closure, real peace and rejoice in truth and genuine love. If you need to do that tonight with someone or today with someone, do it today. Have that closure today. Do it the way Jesus said to do it. Whatever you need may be, We invite you to the Lord's invitation as we stand and sing the song of encouragement.